Paul Bunyan and the Photocopier by Larry Hamer. Well, the time came Paul Bunyan had a pretty successful thing going with his lumber business. Fact is, the first year his company went public, the stock price doubled, and it went up 50% each of the three years after that. Mind you, this made Paul a target for corporate raiders. Why, the battle he had with Bluebeard is a yarn and a half, but that's another tale. This is the story of what happened when Paul Bunyan's secretary went on vacation. Now, Maisie was a good secretary, a fine secretary. She could copy three reports, fax a corporate org chart, schedule an executive meeting, and keep a board member on hold, all at the same time, and keep the board member from getting madder than a polecat on laundry day while she did it. And this was the problem. You see, she was too good for Paul. He hardly ever had to do anything for himself with Maisie around. So when she visited her aunt right when Paul was preparing the year-end stockholder report, something bad was bound to happen. Paul doing a financial report was a sight to see. He lined up all the numbers at the bottom of the page, carefully aimed his axe, and then, wham, chopped 20% off the capital expenses. Worked like a charm. But then when he had the final report ready... He had to copy it. Now just between you and me, there's nothing on this green earth that scared Paul the way that photocopier scared him. He could work his computer somewhat, at least as far as checking email or making a slideshow from someone else's template. But that big plastic box, all white and humming with its 10,000 buttons and 20,000 lights, the sole purpose of each one to tell him that he'd forgotten to select an output tray... That sent the cold blue heebies down to his feet through the soles of his boots and into the basement boiler room. But Paul, he wasn't about to be licked by an expensive floor camera. If he could keep a sawmill running with just his axe and a roll of baling wire, he could work anything. So Paul hitched up his belt, stuck his report in the hopper, and pushed the button. The copier just sat in the printer room, humming to itself like a thumb twiddler on procrastination day. Paul frowned and pressed it again. The copier hummed a little more, then said, warming up, please wait. Five minutes later, the display lit up. Let's see, Paul said. Three copies, one-sided original, copying to double-sided using 8.5 by 11 paper. He pushed a few controls and everything seemed ready. Paul pushed the button. Tray three empty, said the copier. Paul filled the tray. He pressed the button. It made a copy of the cover page and then jammed. Paul cussed so loud French trappers in Big Bertha's bar down the river felt their ears turn red. Then Paul unjammed it. It jammed again and stuck its tongue out at him. Paul cussed again and stomped his foot so hard a crack from the center of the earth opened up in the boiler room. Later on, he harnessed this into a generator and went into the electricity business. But that's another tale. He pressed the button one last time and the copier made a copy of every other page on legal-sized paper, too faint to read. It was about this time that Paul realized two things. First, that an axe just doesn't make a satisfying thunk when you drive it into a photocopier. And second, that to get his copies, he'd have to build a copier himself. So he put his axe over his shoulder, his reports in his briefcase, 
nabbed a couple boxes of paper clips from the supply closet, and set off with Babe, the mighty blue ox, to make one. First thing Paul needed was a plate of glass. That's what you lay the original on, after all. For a photocopier big enough for Paul Bunyan, it had to be a really big piece. Paul reckoned that frozen Lake Michigan would do. Paul's first thought was to hike up to one end of the lake and make the copier there, but on consideration he realized he'd want to use it fairly often, so he might as well keep it right there in Chicago. So Paul sat down in the parking lot and chained his paper clips together to make a cable. He was good at that, having practiced while Maisie did all the work. He made a loop inside his cable and coiled it up. Then he whirled it once around his head and hurled it north, hard as he could. Faster than an eagle can fly, the lasso flew out, and the loop caught the round end of the lake, pretty as a pitcher. Paul yanked it tight and hitched Babe to the other end of the cable. Then they hauled till they pulled the end of Lake Michigan all the way down to the corporate offices. That's how Lake Michigan got stretched out the way it is, and how Chicago became a port. The next thing he needed was toner. Now as far as Paul could tell, that was just a fancy name for ink that got all over your hands. The only thing he could think of as bad as toner for mussing you up was ash. And that volcano out west that gets grumpy every so often, you know the one, was being troublesome to folks right then. Paul reckoned that if the volcano was going to be awake, it might as well make itself useful. So Paul took his cable, coiled out a little more, whirled it three times around his head, and hurled it west as hard as he could. Further than an eagle can fly, the lasso flew out and landed round the top of the cinder cone. Paul yanked it tight, hitched Babe up, and together they hauled the mountain over. Of course, it didn't come easily, a volcano being a slight more ornery than a lake, after all. It struggled and strained and belched lava over Idaho and half of Wyoming till Paul got fed up and whooped the fire out of it and the mountain came along peacefully. The fire, Paul left behind to sink into the ground and become Yellowstone Park. The last thing Paul needed was a bright light to flash across the glass. Paul wasn't rightly sure what the point of that was, but all the photocopiers had them, so his would too. And there was nothing good enough, but Paul used the biggest, brightest light in the world, the sun. Paul coiled out a little more of his cable, whirled it nine times around his head, and hurled it straight up, hard as he could. Higher than eagles can see, the lasso flew up, but it didn't reach high enough to catch the sun. It hung up in the air a moment, then it fell back to earth with a whoomp that knocked down more trees than Paul could fell in a day. That didn't phase Paul Bunyan. He coiled up his cable, whirled it around and around harder this time, and hurled it again. Again, it wasn't high enough. And again, it whomped down in the forest, knocking over trees like toothpicks. Paul tried again, and again, and again. Still, Paul Bunyan couldn't lasso the sun. When on the ninth try, he caught a cloud instead. Paul gave up, for the moment. For one thing, he'd knocked over all the trees for a hundred miles which is how the Midwestern Prairie was made. So Paul Bunyan sat down with his back against Babe and thought, and thought. Paul Bunyan stared at the sun all afternoon, trying to come up with a way to hitch his lasso higher than he could throw it. He couldn't use any bird he knew. None of them could fly that high. And he couldn't fly himself. 
He couldn't shoot it, catapult it, blast it, or drive it. He couldn't even kick it. All the while, he kept staring right at the sun while it got lower and lower in the sky. Suddenly, just before the sun touched the horizon, Paul laughed. A big bell of a laugh that rang off the backwoods and echoed back. He stood up and, pretty as you please, tossed the lasso right over the sun with a flick of his wrist. He'd been trying to catch the sun at noon when it was highest in the sky, but now, at sunset, it was just barely over Paul's head. So Paul tethered the sun in place, and he was ready to copy his report. It took some experimenting, but he eventually figured out how to reflect an image off the ice bright enough the white parts melted more than the black. He could scatter ash across it, press a page to that, and Paul had a photocopy. With a little practice, he got a page a minute out of this device, and in no time at all, his three copies of that report. The tale doesn't end there, however. For one thing, keeping the whole sun to himself was causing problems. Without a sun in the sky, it was getting too cold in Chicago, especially with the wind off the lake. Worse, there were rumbles down in Washington about senators from certain farming states conducting an investigation into his solar monopoly. And then there was all that ash from Paul's pet volcano. The city fathers of Chicago were none too pleased about that. If it had only been senators and city fathers, Paul would have stuck it out. But then Maisie came back from her aunt's. When she saw the mess Paul had made, she gave him the look. And faster than a politician can make a promise, Paul put back the sun, the mountain, and cleaned up after himself. After all, you never tick off a good secretary. But Paul and the city fathers rather liked the fact that Chicago was now a port, so he left Lake Michigan where it was. It's still there today, and that's how you know this tale's the honest truth. This has been Michael Menengay for Escape Pod. Check us out at escapepod.org. And find more exciting sci-fi literature at dragonpage.com. 